Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It's Lori Forner here. Today I am talking to Dr. Melanie More. Now she is from Quebec in Canada and that is how you say her name. So it is not Melanie Morin, however, I think she's used to that and she's okay with it. Um, she, a lot of people may not recognize her name. She has been in the published research world for quite some time in pelvic floor. However, because she is the last author, which I'm learning is the most important, I think a lot of people may not realize she's been involved with some research they have read or some really amazing projects. She's a physiotherapist specializing in pelvic floor dysfunction. She's currently an associate professor at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences at the University of Sherbrooke, Quebec, Canada. She's also a researcher at the Research Centre of the Centre Hospitalier Universitaire de Sherbrooke. I have no idea if I said that right. I was in French immersion for most of my primary life, so I'll be very embarrassed um, because I probably didn't do that right. Um, But her research is specializing in pelvic floor dysfunction. She's the founder and director of its Urogynecology Research Laboratory. She has conducted several studies focusing on the role of pelvic floor muscles in the pathophysiology of vulvodynia and postpartum and postmenopausal urinary incontinence. She's published numerous scientific manuscripts, book chapters on pelvic floor floor disorders. She's frequently invited as an expert and guest speaker at conferences. She's involved in several international committees, namely the scientific board of the International Continent Society, so ICS, and the standardization of terminology in Ayuga ICS. Um, Today, we are talking about one of her latest research projects that she was working on with Chantal Dumoulin, Sophie Bergeron, um, Marie-Hélène Mayrand, Samir Khalife, Guy Waddell, Marie-France Dubois, and the PVD study group. Again, I hope hope I said people's names right. Um, this latest study is called the Randomized Control Trial of Multimodal Physiotherapy Treatment Compared to Overnight Topical Lidocaine in, with, in women suffering from provoked vestibulodynia. So um, it is an excellent discussion that we had. She tells us all about what the research involved, what these conditions are, and the really great role that physiotherapy had and what their findings were. So I won't spoil it. Have a listen. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please go and rate it, subscribe, share, tell your friends. You can also listen to it via the Podbean app, which then you have the opportunity to become a patron and support the podcast. Either way, I hope that everybody is enjoying these. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so nobody will see your face. <laughs> it's just okay, chatting. So- 
Um, and it's so hard, you know, with someone like you and a lot of the other people that I interview, there you know so much and you've done so much, especially within research, but also as a clinician that you're like, okay, what can I get you to talk about? Because I want you to talk about everything and tell us everything you know. Um, but we don't have enough time for that. So that's yeah. why I thought um, you did a, a, an amazing talk when you came to Brisbane on um, uh, lots of the studies that you've done, but specifically that RCT you did. Well, it was into the journals in 2016, but as I go through research, I realize how long it actually takes things to do that, but you were probably working on it a lot more than just 2016. Yes, exactly, and I'm still, I, you're supposed to submit the, this results publication in the next few weeks, so it feels like forever, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's really long, and it, I'm trying to write the articles while I'm trying to manage everything else, so this is my struggle, but, but yes, it's, it, I'm very proud of this study, I think uh, if I just this if i if i am able just to do this in my career that would be <laughs> that would be i would be happy with that because it's really a good uh, a study that uh is uh, i had a lot uh, to work on and uh, also the results are really amazing so it's the what i put the rct of multimodal physiotherapy treatment compared to overnight lidocaine treatment in women with provoked vestibulodynia is that right exactly yes yes okay Okay, okay, so if you if you can briefly before we get into it, then explain what provoked vestibulodynia is. Yes, so uh, provoked vestibulodynia is pain at the entry of the vagina. Uh, it, it's it's one subtype of vulvodynia, so vulvar pain. Uh, it is the leading cause of vulvodynia. Um, we say provoked vestibulodynia because provoke means that the pain is uh, is there when we touch the area. And vestibulodynia, it is for vestibule, so the entry of the vagina, and dynia for pain. So there's several subtypes of, uh, of vovodynia, but provoked vestibulodynia is the predominant subtype. So the, more, the most frequent sub- subtype of pain. And that is different than vaginismus, right? As in, we've talked about vaginismus on the podcast a little bit before, but I just want to kind of make that distinction a little bit well uh, vaginismus was intru- was uh, presented in the DSM and now that the DSM has been uh, republished the, la- the latest version they merge um, dyspareunia and vaginismus as genital pelvic pain disorder and because they thought that it was a spectrum so um, dyspareunia mean pain during intercourse and vaginismus the initial definition was a a spasm or a contraction of the outer third of the vagina, which is the pelvic floor muscle, um, preventing intercourse. So the idea of merging the two definitions is that the um, the expert had uh, the impression that it was rather a spectrum that, uh, than a, one or the other. So some patient would present some pain during intercourse and some level of pelvic floor muscle te- tension or spasm. So this is why th- so this is where the term um, vaginismus uh, was presented. Uh, it is still used in the literature and in clinic. Um, the new 
the definition that is accepted by vulvar pain society is, is vulvodynia and provoked vestibulodynia, which is a subtype. But depending, I guess, if you are um, referring to a more psychological terminology versus uh, medical vulvar or gynecological terminology that will influence the terminology that you will use. So I guess that this perunia uh, provoked vestibulodynia can be one reason or one condition explaining the pain uh, in women with uh, so so it, it, there's a lot of terms but basically I think um, what is difficult for women is, women is really that we just all mentioned when they came to her office they are all mixed up because some professional told them that they had dyspareunia and others vaginismus and other provoked vestibulodynia, but maybe they, it's all the same because they can have everything within this spectrum. So I think it makes things more complicated for women. So for our re randomized controlled trial, we decided to go with provoked vestibulodynia because the definition is more um, narrow and, and defined, so we can rely on a medical diagnosis. So that's why we went for that definition. But um, it's it's really challenging for the for the patient suffering from these conditions. So, what kind of made you go? I think we need to look at this. I think we need to do some research on this because you're a clinician as well. So you're seeing these yes. patients come in. Is this? Did you just see a whole bunch of women, like you said, who are being told <laughs> they have so many different things, and you wanted to um, make it a little bit more specific and work out the role of a physiotherapist? Um, I think the, the the most important things is that you explain what they have, uh, because just having a diagnosis and some explanation, I think it make it make things easier for them, and they understand after that why, as a physio, you can propose some some treatment that has the potential to be working. Um, so usually when they, the patient come to my office, what I do is I first explain everything of what the terms means. And, and I explain them that it means all the same, depending on their condition. So that's just explaining what they have. This is the first step. Um, and after that, your question is, is there work to do with terminology? Well, um, I think it, it, it will be challenging because it really depends uh, to whom you're talking to, because I would assume that in psychology with the DSM, they did a lot of work to, to better define the genital pelvic pain condition. And on the other hand, in medicine, they also well-defined vovodynia. So, so I just think that it's, uh, it will remain for a couple of years, that kind of um, of divergent or contrasting definition, but yeah. So uh, I think it does not matter that much. It's really more about education that we should uh, um, explain women so that they understand that they 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 have not been receiving different diagnoses. It's just the way to explain their condition. So when did you start doing this RCT? So it was a uh, well when I first um, when I was hired as a professor at the University of Sherbrooke and an assistant professor at that time. Uh, 
the first study that I wanted to do was about uh, vulvar pain because I was uh, I w- I did my master degree and my PhD in incontinence in women with postpartum and postmenopausal incontinence, and then I did my um, my postdoc with Sophie Bergeron and Irv Binick in in uh, sexual dysfunction and pelvic pain and vulvodynia. So I, I I studied at that moment the involvement of the pelvic floor muscle. In, in women with provoked vestibulodynia. So I became really interested in, um, in, in, in providing or developing treatment for these women because I was seeing a lot of these women in clinic and I had a strong impression that what we, were, we are doing as physio was very working well So and, and the literature was re- very limited uh, at that time. So, so that's why I, my first study that I, I had in uh, that I wanted to do as a new professor or researcher was about provoked vestibulodynia and we applied at that moment to the CIHR so the Canadian Institute of Health which is the, the big funding agency in Canada and we obtained a grant so we were really uh, we're really happy about this because this is about a 10% success rate to obtain a grant for uh, from this agency. So, and that's why that's where we started up all the studies or developing the treatment, looking in the literature, what has been done, what 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 is the main parameter that that the physio are using because we wanted to to um, to propose a treatment that really uh, represent what. The physiotherapists are doing in their current practice. So this is where it started. Who were you? Who did you work with on this? Was it was it multi center? It was multi centered. We we recruited women uh, in um, in, at the, in Montreal and in Sherbrooke. So two uh, two big cities in Quebec, uh, and um, it involves the um, the University of Sherbrooke and University of Montreal. Uh, we uh, also recruited a multidisciplinary team. So uh, the physio it is uh, me and Chantal Dumoulin. Um, we had also gynecologists specialized in pelvic pain, like um, like Samir Khalifé, Guy Wadel, uh, and so these were the main gynecologists. But we had a lot of uh, um, collaborator, uh, and we had also Sophie Bergeron. Uh, providing advice about psychological uh, variable to assess within the RCT. So we had that huge team and a a statistician also. Am I forgetting somebody? Uh, So all these uh, uh, researchers combined together to develop the the protocol that you mentioned in 2016 to to start that study. What did you do? So you you were trying to look at the difference between the physiotherapy intervention and just lidocaine treatment. Is that right? Yeah. So the the first reflection that we had is that we wanted to assess physiotherapy because this is the treatment that we thought this is um, the medical doctor are referring a lot their their patient to physiotherapists because they think that it's really effective. And so for all the reason that, I, and I also had that strong impression that we were really effective as a physio. But then the question that arose was, we would, we have to compare physio to what? Because 
in a RCT, you have to have a, a, com a comparison, so another treatment. So we thought, should we compare physio to nothing? So we found that it was not that ethical at that point to provide no treatment because there was also other um, frequent first line comparative uh, other treatments. So we thought um, about li topical lidocaine because this was uh, at that time the most frequently prescribed treatment for women with vestibulodynia. So we thought that's a good comparison. We can compare physio with lidocaine because this is like the current practice. So when women are have presenting in their um, gynecologist or physician, most likely they will receive or attempt this treatment. So that's why we thought, well, that's a good thing to start with that and to identify. So sometimes I have the, the, the comment that people are saying, yeah, but do you really think that we were not as good as a, a bottle of cream? But th the point is that we, need to, we needed to find a comparison that was fair, that was uh, in the literature that appeared to be working. Um, so that's the, because we want, the other idea was to compare physiotherapy with vestibulectomy. But this is like comparing first line to third line of treatment. So we thought that maybe the people that will be involved in this study, if you agree to be randomized to vestibulectomy, maybe that's you are at the last stage and you attempt about every other treatment. So, so I think we, we stayed with our, our idea of comparing physio with another first-line treatment. And at that time, the treatment that appeared to be the, the, the best idea was lidocaine treatment. And also another thing that I could add is that there's different protocol of applying lidocaine treatment. There's um, the cream that you apply four times a week, uh, four times a day. It was and it was tested in this in the study of Foster, David Foster in the U.S., and they concluded that it was not effective. So we discarded this idea. And the other way is applying lidocaine prior intercourse, so just prior intercourse. Um, and there was not a lot of supporting evidence for this way of applying lidocaine. And we ended up with the the nighttime application of lidocaine, which is applying a, a, a blob of, of lidocaine on a gauze and, and put it on the vestibule area and remain and let it play in place for eight hours. So um, this was published in, in um, 2006, I think, by Dennis Zolnun. She's a gynecologist in the U.S., and it seems to be very effective. So that's why we selected that treatment, because we thought, well, this seems to be a fair compar comparison treatment. But we were afraid that <laughs> we have been as effective as physio. But yes, hopefully it was not. That's it. How do you kind of yeah pick something that you feel is... Um on par and then hope that all of your time and energy and years spent show exactly. difference. But again, based on your it, clinical judgment, you knew that um, there was a big role to play. And so can you kind of discuss what the physio intervention involved? Yes. So the physio, um, we wanted to have a 
a multimodal physio treatment because we felt at that time that this was the, the current practice. So we looked at in a survey that was carried out in the U.S. in North America. Well, it, no, so in the U.S. and Canada, so in North America, and there was a, a survey by Dee Artman. She's a physio in the U.S. in Chicago, and um, she uh, she did a survey questioning experts, including physiotherapists, about well what they are doing in treatment. So, are they using biofeedback, dilators, electrical stimulation. So that kind of question. And so she did that survey and we looked into that. And that seems also to reflect what we were actually doing, what I was actually doing in my clinical practice. So that's why we base our reflection on that kind of all multimodal modality. So this basically includes education, uh, because it's a 10-week uh, week program. So the, the patient has, the, the women meet, meet the physio once a week for 10 weeks. Uh, and so every session, there's an educational component when they, uh, we, we discuss about pain physiology, um, uh, how to recover sexual uh, intercourse without pain, um, uh, also uh, 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 avoidance of bulvar irritants. So we covered a lot of stuff every session. Um, and so the educational component, we also included pelvic floor muscle exercises using biofeedback in clinic and just exercises without biofeedback at home. Uh, so they had to do various type of exercises mainly control exercises. And the objective on, with that is to learn how to better control their muscle, so to reach a better control of the contraction, and at the same time, uh, to have a better control uh, on the relaxation of their pelvic floor muscles. Um, and we also included some dilators technique that they had to do at home and uh, with the physio. And some manual therapy also for uh, targeting myofascial release, trigger point, and pelvic floor muscle tension. Sorry, when so, you say biofeedback, what were you using? Yeah. Uh, so we were using EMG biofeedback. Okay. So they had a small vaginal probe, yep. and they they were they were seeing their contraction on the screen. So the physio could teach them how to contract, relax, if they were doing it properly or not. So that kind of control exercises. Okay. Yeah. And then manual therapy, what kind of manual therapy? So there was um, several components within manual therapy. So myofascial release, so kind of massage, pelvic floor massage, uh, stretching also, um, contract relax technique to to just like stretch relax i don't know if you call it that way to to promote like the the better relaxation and to stretch further uh, we had also conjunctive tissue manipulation and nerve mobilization when it was relevant um so so yes and trigger point 
also technique like uh, ischemic pressure and massage for depending of the tension zone. And of course, for that component, we really adapted the intensity based on each patient because for some it's really sensitive, for the others it's it, it, we can stretch more. So we kind of adapted. So the physio had to follow uh, uh, the some of the component of the protocol for the 10 weeks, but the intensity could be adapted to reach the, um, the progression also of the, uh, of the patient. And that goes for their home exercises and the insertion technique. Exactly. Okay. So it was, so the thing is that what is interesting is that we did not only just provide them a sheet to how to do a dilator dilators technique. We really, we taught them how to actually do it and to we also verify if they were able to relax while doing it so the proper technique that we are using in clinic to to um to supervise them within the whole process so at home they had to do some contraction exercises and also some stretching exercises with the dilators was there anything did any of their home exercises involve their partner or did they have to kind of do 10 weeks without trying intercourse or having any penetration was there any Mm -hmm. kind of limitations surrounding that uh they they uh the partner were uh, invited to to attend the third session because in the in the educational component it was some kind of explanation to the partner about what is vulvodynia, the vicious cycle of tension, pain, fear, and that kind of stuff. Um, so some were, well, they were all invited uh, to, to attend that session. And after that, for the pelvic floor muscle um for the pelvic floor muscle stretching, they were encouraged at some point to do it with their partner. But um, if their partner was not willing or for other reason, uh, they could do it by themselves. And also for the the for the intercourse, the, the advice was to wait until their part they reach the, the dilator size of their partner before uh, re- resuming sexual activity but if we feel that it was too late or something like that we were promoting sexual activity with minimal pain or with no pain if it was possible so we were really encouraging them to to be sexually active and to explore other form of sexuality because there's there's kind of different type of patient i'm sure you see that in your practice that there's physio there's a patient that are really into avoidance they avoid anything that is related to sexual to sexual activities and there's other that um, they are so afraid of losing their partners they continue to have intercourse five times a week even if they have pain nine on ten every time um, so we kind of adapted their explanation based on what was actually going on. We wa- we didn't want to encourage avoidance, but at the other on the other hand, we didn't want also to encourage some pain behavior that was uh, going against the treatment. Okay. So it was kind of part of the personalized uh, intervention that we had to do because um, 
well, it, it, they maybe won't uh, listen to us about this, but it was part of the education that we were given. Yeah, so some people could kind of grade their own exposure during that 10 weeks, yes. whereas, yeah, okay, oh, nice. Um, mm-hmm. So then, so how many people, how many women did you have? So we recruited 212 women, and half of them were randomized into the uh, the physio treatment and the other half in the topical lidocaine treatment. We assessed them at, at baseline, of course, at post-treatment, so two weeks after the end of the treatment, and at six-month follow-up. And at the end, we had a dropout at six months of less than 8%, which is really good. So people really stayed into the, the the protocol and the study up to the end. They were not allowed to, to do other treatment than the one that they were randomized to during that period. So, uh, and they mainly respected that um, some, there's only some exception that tried other treatments. So mo- most of the women stayed and, and respected the treatment that in the group they were allocated. And, and sorry, we didn't, the, sorry, they, these were young nulliparous women too, weren't they? Yes, yes. Yeah, not young as in like 18, but well, were they well, average 23? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's, uh, if we look into the literature, it's really common to have that age. Uh, we we received a comment once that some, it may be a, bit, a little bit younger than um, what was published in other some other studies? I think it really depends of the nulliparous criteria that makes a difference between studies having an average of twenty five, twenty seven, comparing to 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 um, twenty three in her case. Yeah, yeah. But no one, no gynecological surgeries, no post hysterectomies. Yeah. No, no, no. So we and we limited the age to 45, um, and and they had also to be uh, to have a not be uh, to, to have a, a menstrual cycle because we wanted to avoid um, that um, hormonal um, aspect and and because if they had a vulvar atrophy, for example, that could um, maybe they would require other treatment in addition to physiotherapy. So that's why we really target mm-hmm. on younger women. And that made sense also with what we see in current practice because um, it, young people are mainly affected usually. And after that, postpartum women and um and older menopausal women, um, there's, they are as affected, but there's other factors that can contribute to their pain. Yeah, I love that you included a very large education proponent to it, because I don't know, yeah. I don't recall seeing other studies on pain doing that. Um, yeah, so, and I find that that's a really big proportion as a clinician you know that that really can help so I yeah I I loved when just listening to everything um, when you did your talk earlier about what you guys did Mm -hmm. I I think it's a it's a important component because that's where you uh, you also promote the 
the alliance with the physiotherapist. That's where you target also all the psychosexual or psychological variables that can influence their pain and then that you can really discuss and address this. So, and, and I feel that's, well, that represents well what I, I am doing in clinical practice. I, and it's not, it was not like, let's sit and talk for 30 minutes. It was really like, incorporated into our, our practice. So I don't know if that's what you're doing. So we talk at the beginning, during in the rest period, at the end. And if we feel that it is a sensitive topic, we take the time to 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 discuss this further. So that was the idea of including all this. And I think it's also trendy at the moment because um people are are um, there's more and more studies supporting that all the educational component with chronic pain patient, even uh, outside the field of vulvodynia, that it makes a difference for 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 patient with chronic pain. So that's why we designed it that way, and we felt that it was important. I feel like, I don't know if it's because I'm in Australia and a very big proportion of pain education yeah. has come from Australia, that, that, that has always been part of my practice, but part of practice of many yeah. other physios that I know here, which is why I said when I saw that, I thought, oh, yes, so exciting. Um, so then, so what, what happened? Who is better? <laughs> numbing, <laughs> numbing gel or physio? So uh, we, uh, we really obtained a very interesting result because both group improved for pain intensity. This was the primary outcome. So we we selected pain intensity on the numerical rating scale from zero to 10. So this is this was the main outcome of our trial. And both group, lidocaine and physical therapy, improved after the 10 weeks and it remained for six months. However, physiotherapy was found to be more effective than lidocaine. So, for example, if we look into the proportion, um, Basically, physiotherapy, they had an average on, of 7 on 10 uh, at baseline. And after physio, they had an average of 2 on 10. Uh, and that remained up to 6 months. And in the lidocaine group, they, re they reduced from 7 to 5 on 10. And that remained for the 6-month follow-up. So uh, we obtained a really interesting difference between uh, physio and lidocaine. So both treatments worked, but physio worked more. And for the other outcome, it was the same thing. So physio, if we look at, into the McGill Point questionnaire, which is pain quality, we obtained the same thing. So both group improved, but physio improved better was I'm sorry better. when you say yeah. pain uh, um, yeah. are you talking about pain on you touching them or pain with intercourse what is what was that based on it, it, it was pain it was the the pain the average pain intensity that they report during intercourse okay yeah not from yeah. your assessment and or anything no, okay. no. And, and the pain uh, for, for the McGill pain questionnaire, it is also a, it is assessing pain quality. So it is the self-reported pain, uh, pain quality during intercourse. Uh, the other outcome that is really interesting, because prior studies suggested that physio was effective for sexual uh, function, but 
maybe not as much as CBT. That was the trend in the literature before we did the study. But what we found is that both groups improve uh, their sexual function after treatment, but physiotherapy was more effective than lidocaine for improving sexual function. And the thing that is interesting also is that there's a, a clinical cutoff of 26, if I recall correctly, for the FSFI questionnaire. And in the physio group, if we look into the average, in the physio, physio group, they went above this. So it means that the, the mean of, of the group were not having sexual dysfunction anymore, according to that clinical cutoff. Um, so that was for sexual dysfunction. We obtained the same thing for sexual distress. We obtained the same thing for catastrophizing and fear of pain. So both groups were uh, effective, but physio was, was more effective than lidocaine. So all the way, physio was found to be more effective. Uh, and um, also, if we look at satisfaction or the patient reported uh, impression of change, if I recall correctly, 77% of women in the physio group reported to be very much improved comparing to something about 40% in the lidocaine group. So it was a, a, a huge treatment effect. Uh, and as I said, uh, at the in initial stage, we were kind of uh, um, confident, but worried. Yeah. <laughs> what if there's not enough of a change? Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so that's really interesting because it really supports, without any doubt, that physiotherapy was effective and more effective than the frequent first-line treatment. Um, we, we recently completed the two-year follow-up uh, to see if those results maintained. We have not analyzed the data yet, and we, we plan to do some cost-effectiveness analysis because that's the, that's, that's the other critique yeah. uh, that we can receive, that it works, but it costs more than a cream. So um, this is the kind of thing that we are uh, working on at the moment to, to provide more information about um, it's effective, but... What's more? So, so the same cohort um, of people you've looked at two years later. Yes, exactly. Nice. Oh, that's so, excellent. Yes, and, and we had also a good retention rate. So yeah. we had a bit more dropout, of course, because mm. the 8% was not a lot, but I think it's below 15 or 20 percent so it's we we still we, we kept all all our cohort so we would have all the data available so so that's really uh so we were really proud we are really proud and and happy about those results and, and hopefully that will be available soon for for publication so the, in so the publication that is out now from 2016 talks about the design and the methods the yes. one that you're about to publish is going to um, explain the protocol more in depth so that if people are wanting to follow similarly what you did in practice once that paper comes out they can get it and then use it is that right Yes, it will. Be, it will mainly focus about the results, yeah. and we are thinking about writing something with more description on the treatment protocol because, in the format of an article, it's we have limited uh, space to yes. describe all this. So that's also in the plan uh, within the next year to to write more about what we did, yeah. <laughs> so so that the people can replicate this into their practice. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and I think what we've talked about on the podcast many times is more principles rather than protocols, but especially for people starting out or if people haven't had many patients that have pain or if, you know, even if you've been working with people who've had pain for a long period of time to have something or an idea to base off of or some extra ideas, I think is, and ideas mm-hmm. that we know what works, at least yes. from, you know, a research point of view. So, um, yeah, and I think I, I think it's yeah I think it's really important, and we conducted some analysis that we just to have some previous uh, idea about how important, for example, is the experience of the physio because we had about if I rec- ten or twelve physio involved in the treatment, mm. and we carried out some analysis to see. Is the experience because we really give a proper training of the physio involved in the treatment, so they had a lot of explanation how to actually do the treatment, yeah. um, and and with that training, um, the thing that was the most important their experience as a physio or their experience as a um, um, a pelvic floor physio or a pelvic pain physio uh, was not related to the outcome. Wow. But the thing that seems to be related, and we are about to submit this for another uh, publication, is that um, the alliance with the therapist mm-hmm. and the satisfaction with the therapist is, is important. So the therapist is more important than the experience that they have. So yeah. from, but they receive uh, the training for duty. Uh, so that really highlight that if physio are interested in having some kind of protocol and, and having more clinical information that they will be, if they have good um, clinical skill with their patient, they will might, they will likely succeed with their patient. So that's okay. interesting. That's it. Having, having good people skills. And again, yes. what we've always talked about with pain science is being able to listen to people and um, allow them to speak and yeah I, I, that's good that you found yeah. that that was very important yes, <laughs> yes. And, and we are currently working on a publication about this and, and I think that's really a mirror what they found in psychology too in the psychology mm. literature they report that the alliance with the therapist and the satisfaction with the therapist is more expensive important than the experience of the therapist yeah Yeah. so wow so you have a lot well so you have that to work on and some other studies (laughs) what else are you doing (laughs) so we are also looking at the moment into the predictor so who responded the best to those treatment is there a factor that predicts the physiotherapy response to to pelvic floor physio um, or factors that prevent response so we, that would be uh, also published next well in the upcoming months um, and there's also a there's also various study that could be that could derived from that um, randomized controlled t- trial because we had a large database of 212 women. So we published uh, a study about the difference between provoked vestibulodynia primary and secondary. Is there a difference in the muscle? We were also able to publish, it was published this year, and also another study about um, how pelvic floor dysfunction is related to fear avoidance variables. So we, we know as a clinician that 
pelvic floor is related to to psycho psychological variables so if people is more as more catastrophizing they might be they may, might have also higher pain and higher um, catastrophizing higher tension that everything is connected from the fear avoidance model and that's exactly what we saw with with our study so we were able to show that the pelvic floor is also involved in pain intensity. So that's the kind of studies that we are doing. So we are working a lot with um, with all the data from that RCT. And we are also currently working another RCT at the moment that takes all our time is the efficacy of physiotherapy in women with avulsion injury for women suffering for for incontinence. So this is another large study because we wanted to target 160 women with avulsion and incontinence. So it's, it's not about pelvic pain, but it's about incontinence and what can we do as a physio for these women? Is it effective? That will be amazing. I cannot wait yes. for that. So we're going to have to wait a couple more years for that. Is that right? Oh, oh yeah. So in a, in a, another two years or three years at least, because we have to follow them for for uh, one year after they they completed the study. So so that takes time. Oh my goodness. Oh, I wish I was inside your brain and <laughs> that I was back on the east coast of Canada. Yeah, so you you are welcome anytime. <laughs> I'll be there. I just don't know when. <laughs> oh, let th- me know. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to throw in? Uh, no, I think that uh, I'm very uh, happy that you received me to have the opportunity to talk about all this. I think it's a uh, uh, Physio are really keen for these results and um, I, hopefully it will be published soon so that physio can use these data into their practice.